All right, welcome in everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. A little bit of a uh, a cold open for you, if you will. Uh, you know, it's a new season. Like any good team, we have some turnover and have made some new additions. And uh, unbeknownst to a couple of people in uh, in our start here, I have a new intro for you because we have uh, a new announcer. Here you go. I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Moster, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. There you go, guys. Thank you, Tim. No, that's fantastic. We appreciate I it. Love it. Good. Absolutely I'm. I knew wonderful. of all people you would appreciate it. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, so Neil and I have been working on that since December. Uh, been been putting that together in the background. With our guy Tim Kitzrow. So uh, yeah, I have a bunch of drops. We have uh, the intro and the outro. So Tim is our uh, official announcer for the season this year. We'd like to so thank Tim Kitzrow for very excited about that. So thank you, Tim, by being involved yeah. in our nonsense in any way, because we're exactly. punching, we're Perfect. punching well above our weight. We're punching so far above our weight with that. Exactly. Uh, so with that, let's welcome everybody. And obviously, we have Neil Smith, who is with me all the time. Neil, how are you, how have you been in the last few months here? Hey, hey, hey! Doing about as good as you can do for a man locked in a storage unit in Mesa, Arizona. I am not allowed as to always. leave. Uh, we have Jack Cavanaugh live from Canada, Canada's own, the magician himself. Oh, hello. How are you, Steve? Pretty good. Uh, on our last episode, you may remember, I was celebrating my championship and said I would go on an Ovechkin-type bender, and uh, I basically shut down the, intra- the entire travel industry. So there you ah, go. That you're was you're you. welcome. Gotcha. Yep. It was ah, specifically damn. me. Yep. Uh, and then that FF nerd, Jason Draven. Jason? Hey, I'm here. And locked in my room. Perfectly good. Yes, he is here is the perfect intro for Jason as usual. And joining us for uh, the first time on the podcast, we have Dr. Dynasty himself, Mr. John Chancy. John, welcome. First podcast. Very excited yeah. to have you here. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, that is the first time I've, I've, I've heard that title and it feels really good to hear it. Feels great <laughs> to be here. Uh, I hope everyone's well, and I'm, I'm ready to, to, to get into this with y'all. So you may not be familiar with John's voice, but I'm sure if you are a Dynasty player, you are absolutely certain of who John is on the website. He is our lead for the Dynasty department and uh, does some fantastic work. If you haven't already checked it out, you should definitely do so. But we are all here together to talk about the NFL draft. What else? We finally... Finally had some kind of sports something happening going on. And uh, we got plenty to discuss and plenty to talk about. So we're going to break this up into a two-part series for everybody. So the first part here, we're going to kick things off with quarterback. Because that's how the entire NFL draft essentially kicked off. With Joe Burrow going one of one to the Cincinnati Bengals. The worst kept secret in all of football. So first, let's start with redraft jason where do you have joe burrow this year his impact on the Bengals' offense well i actually think they're going to pass a lot more so i think that's a huge benefit for fantasy and with 
Mixon potentially not playing, you kind of have to be a little nervous about it anyway. That's fair. You're implying because of Mixon threatening to hold out, right? Yeah, allegedly. We'll see how that actually ends oh, up, but I, I'm kind of doubtful, but we'll see. Uh, how about you, Jack? What do you think about Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati? I'm really excited about it because they do have weapons there. Tyler Boyd, he's already at least a top 10 slot, if not better. Uh, we'll see what AJ Green is. We're not really sure at this point, but if he comes back to his old self, that's an elite wide receiver on the outside. But if not, they drafted his replacement in T. Higgins. And you know, Joe Burrow, he's got that elite accuracy. He's not afraid to just huck it up there for some guy to make a play on it. And John Ross has that elite speed as well. So there's guys around him to make plays. And I think Joe Burrow is in for a pretty solid season. Fantasy-wise, he's more of a back-end QB too, but I am really excited overall. And then Dynasty, let's go with John. John, what do you think about Joe Burrow in Cincinnati? I love the addition of Burrow to Cincinnati. Um, and this honestly reminds me of you know them getting T. Higgins as well. Reminds me of when the Bengals went all in when they picked up AJ Green and they got Andy Dalton as well. It kind of feels like yeah. uh, a new era in Cincinnati with that, that combination. So I think it's a huge upside for the Bengals offense. I think Joe Burrow, um, you know, he'll probably be the first quarterback taken in dynasty rookie drafts. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't go first round with him, but I think he should be uh, taken at least maybe in the second or third round if you can hold out a little bit. But I think Burrow has a lot of upside right away and, and especially in dynasty. Uh, we'll stick with you, John, as we go on to our next pick with Tua Tagovailoa. He is the number two quarterback off the board going to Miami at number five. In overall consensus right now on Fantasy Pros, you had Joe Burrow at 16 overall. So to your point, you're talking about the fourth pick of the second round and Tua just two picks behind him. Are you saying that you would rather have Joe Burrow over Tua in a uh, dynasty league? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think that Tua has a higher ceiling, but I think that Joe Burrow has a higher floor given the injury concerns. Um, and I don't think either one is necessarily in a better position. I think both franchises are kind of uh, have been on shaky grounds historically. So I, I think that's kind of a wash. But I just think Joe Burrow uh, comes in with a little with with less question marks uh, around him. But I think. If you can hold off and maybe get to a little bit later, maybe in the third or fourth round, if he drops, I think he he could end up being a steal. But um, I think to be safer, I definitely like Burrow more. All right, Neil, we we talked about tank for Tua for so long. They, they finally did it. We thought they'd have to have the number one pick to do it. But the Dolphins succeeded in tank for Tua. They got their guy, uh, you know, this season and beyond. How are you evaluating Tua coming out of Alabama? Yeah, for redraft, I'm not particularly interested for a one and done type scenario. That's not really, you know, he might get some, uh, he might get some, uh, some love here, but he, the, the question with it is, is how long are they going to have the Fitz magic train out there? You know, if Fitz magic right. is out how, there, how soon do they get the hook out? Yeah. And so we imagine that that hook is going to come, but it's a little hard to kind of pin down. So, and there's also the idea that there's a lot of smoke coming from the idea that it might benefit to a, to kind of hold the clipboard for a year. So it's a little bit hard to kind of divine here until we have some more real concrete information since this all kind of just happened. But from the way I'm doing my projections, I've got Ryan Fitzpatrick as your starter for about half the season, whether it's he starts for the first half and then it's the Tua show for the second half. That's one way, or, you know, 
knock knock on wood, if Tua comes in early and then manages to get nicked up a little bit at some point, you know, it'll be right back to Fitzpatrick. So I think they know that that's your future. So we're not going to try and scuff the boat. You know what I mean? To use a Miami reference. We're just going to, we're just going to kind of see how this goes. So for redraft, I'm not super interested, but I will say I like John's note there for a dynasty perspective, a little bit more interested in Tua for down the line than I am for anything for beholden to this year. But if you can get him as a keeper at a value, now you're talking my language. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I'm in the same situation uh, doing our projections for the website. I had Ryan Fitzpatrick at about nine ish to 10 games uh, on their schedule, whereas Tua with the back six finishing out the but again just give him time to learn the system to sit on the bench a little bit a lot of the consensus out there seems to be that he's just going to get thrown into the fire as quickly as possible is anybody here of that mindset no i sure hope not (laughs) the silence was deafening on that it would be foolish of the dolphins to do so yeah Exactly. Behind that, uh, the offensive line, they did put in resources to rebuild it. It is going to be better than last year, but still, you cannot just throw him. Even if he's healthy, it seems like he is fully 100% healthy, but you cannot just throw him to the wolves like that. That'd be devastating for his career. I will say what I just heard John say, it it makes a lot of sense, but the counter argument is you just said the sentence, it would be foolish of the Dolphins. (laughs) Fair point. Think that through. Oxymoron. Yeah, I mean, uh, based on what we're talking about here, between the undrafted guys that got signed and then everybody drafted in rounds one through seven, I think the only one that has any kind of value at all in a redraft league this season is Joe Burrow. Jack, would you agree with that? No question about that whatsoever. Uh, Justin Herbert, he's no lock to start at any point. He was no lock to start at any point. They're just too big of question marks. Unless you want to risk it with Jalen Hurts and the Taysom Hill role, no, you can't start rely on anyone but Joe Burrow. He's going to play a full 16 games. Everyone else probably caps out around 10, and that's not someone you want to draft in fantasy. It makes no sense to have someone rot on your bench like that. Yeah, exactly. You're just taking up a spot at that point. So that then does bring us to the third guy, Justin Herbert. He's another one that the consensus is debating a lot about, the the thought that well, they spent a top 10 pick on him, so Tyrod is just immediately done. I do believe that the Chargers do like Tyrod Taylor, and they were fully willing to let him take that job for at least a while. I have him playing the first eight games in my projections. Let's go to our resident Charger fan. I mean, who else would have the better knowledge on this? Jason. Jason, what do you think about Justin Herbert landing in the powder blue over there? Well, to start it off, okay, those new uniforms are amazing love the the colors i think they look great yeah that was definitely the question thank you for answering that i appreciate it i know that's the that's the more important part of this but i agree i do think that they're going to wait and i think it's really based on the schedule if for some reason tyrod is struggling or they have a tough schedule to start i can see them waiting even longer to start herbert but i really do think it's the six to eight game range that he will actually get some playing time and at least start to see the field more. Well, I would think it'd be the opposite, actually. I'd think if Tyrod is struggling in any way, shape, or form, the pressure is just going to be too much for them to to yank him early. Which I, I understand, but at the same point, you're looking at, it, we'll have to see what the schedule looks like. I think that they want to keep the games close, it, which they did all last year, drove me insane. 
anything under seven, it was just like, this is too close. We're not, there's no chance, but <laughs> hopefully with Herbert there, we'll be able to chuck a couple more downfield and we'll see how it goes. Uh, John, what do you think the long-term value of Justin Herbert is then in the Charger offense? Well, I think Herbert walks into one of the best situations as far as an offense goes and, and complete team. Yeah. I mean, the Chargers really are, you know, they are one of those teams that I think you can honestly say they are a quarterback away from being uh, a real contender, maybe not necessarily for a Super Bowl, but I think at least to make some noise in the playoffs. Um, you know, and the difference was Phillip Rivers in 2018 had a phenomenal year. Phillip Rivers in 2019, not so much. Um, so I think if if Justin Herbert, you know, is the guy or Tyrod Taylor, um, or hopefully Justin Herbert is their guy, I think, um, you know, he could, with all the pieces around him on that offense, could really thrive not only right away, but uh, in terms of dynasty value. He, he I, I think there's a chance he could be the best quarterback potentially in this draft from a dynasty perspective, um, the way the Chargers have built the team around him. But I still think there are a lot of question marks um, around him, at least um, in the immediacy. How much time will he play? Obviously, with Tyrod Taylor there, I think there's also some concerns about his about his size, maybe being too tall. But um, I still think there's just a ton of upside with Justin Herbert. Yeah, right now he is the consensus is at 26 overall. So the QB three. You're talking about the third round of your rookie drafts. There's a lot of value there if you're going to snag him in the back round, say, at the, uh, the back end of the second round. I mean, I could definitely see that if you want to roll the dice. If you've got somebody like a Stafford or, or someone like an Aaron Rodgers, maybe a Tom Brady who's been your starter, you're looking for the next guy. Um, definitely worth a second round flyer. Couldn't agree more. Neil, it is times like these that I really wish I had my Matt LaFleur crammed up your cram hole the floor drop because oh boy this was just uh for someone who despises the cleat eye this was the draft for me like this draft could not have gone better for me if if you are a steve bonham fan this was your draft because whoo let me tell you the 26 the packers traded up traded up to get jordan love because they just hate aaron Rodgers so much Ugh. God, just put it in my veins. If you hate oh. the Packers, this was the draft for you. That really, yeah, it really great. sums up. Not even just your so own personal great. work, but if you just generally don't like the Packers, who boy, were you having fun all weekend? So now, here's Jordan Love, a guy who came in with a ton of question marks. He is now apparently the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers there in Green Bay. So at least from a fantasy perspective, what do you think about Jordan Love? You know? Well, for redraft, I don't think about him, to be honest. Uh, I mean, let's how... be clear. For everybody on the rest of this list now, redraft, it's going to mean nothing. Exactly. Yeah, so I was gonna like say, going to say, we talked forward, about, yeah. We talked about Tua gets half a season, and he's not, <laughs> he's not worth it in redraft. So for this, it's, he's not playing this year. He is the heir apparent on paper for Aaron Rodgers. And for my money, great. You way overpaid, Ryan Pace style, to move up to get a backup level quarterback to sit on your roster. You infuriated Aaron Rodgers at a very, in a very real way. And I'm watching now what for me, the way I'm evaluating it is a, the classic power struggle between ownership, leadership, I should say more management and talent. Rodgers seems to be of the mind. Hey, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, by the way, the people, those of us blessed with the gift of sight, 
uh, will look at this and say that receiving core, just the eye test on it, man, that's just below replacement level. There's just no way you could roll that out there. What are the? How dare you speak about Alan Lazard that way? <laughs> I got some more choice words for him if you want to have the Alan Lazard podcast after this one about how that guy's not an actual NFL <laughs> player. And if Aaron Rodgers wasn't his quarterback, he would be on the practice squad. But anyway, we'll move on from that since we don't have the time to get all the way into it. Uh, but the- <laughs> That'll be a fun one for you and I to break down when we go roster by roster in the preseason. But uh, for this, for this, it's so now he's the heir apparent on paper, but we've seen that before. I don't know that it's a guarantee, you know, as a real path to starting for the future. So for me, if you want to take a shot on him in like the third or fourth round of your rookie draft for Dynasty, cool. You know, cool. I, I can't really push back on you there too hard. But to be honest with you, I don't really see him as something that like I want to invest in to build around for my team, unless that you're of the mind that Aaron Rodgers is going to force his way out of Green Bay after this season with four more years left on his deal. So does anybody want to come at me with they genuinely believe in their heart of hearts that Aaron Rodgers is done in Green Bay as of the end of this season? Because I think that's the only way you're going to justify to me why Jordan Love is worth was worth owning. So I'll let I'll let that response go. Are we sure it won't happen yep. sooner? Yes. I, I, yeah, I am. Yeah. But, 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 but are you not? It sounds like pretty, pretty loudly. I think it's, I think it's a non-zero chance. I mean, I think, you know, it probably won't happen, but. Me getting struck by lightning twice in the same day, John, <laughs> is also a non-zero chance. Me getting mauled by a bear and a polar bear in the same day is also a non-zero chance. And greater likelihood than of me actually winning the lottery. So that's, you know what I mean? No, fair enough. I, I, I just I, I, th- I think there's at least there's some grumblings that we should just pay attention to. I don't think it will happen, but would it surprise me? Not at all. The thing to remember, though, is that uh, Aaron Rodgers contract is untradeable in terms yeah, of that's salary. Yeah. They cannot move him. It would just cost way you, too Jack. much in terms of dead cap. And so even next year, it's going to hurt them financially. And that's the biggest benefit of having a rookie quarterback. It's a rookie contract. They're super cheap. But you're paying Aaron Rodgers all this money for at least two seasons. And if you trade him, then like, it makes no sense whatsoever. They're tied to Rodgers, but he's pissed off. and They're wasting love as well. And it just makes no sense. A lot of this is LaFleur, too. LaFleur, LaFleur has a history of beefing with anybody who has any kind of ego in any way, shape, or form. Because he has to be right at all turns. That's my assessment of him, the coach, and the man. And to that's not going to work with Aaron Rodgers. The contract for Aaron Rodgers, he has a $21 million cap hit this year. If they trade him before June 1st, it would be a $51 million dead cap hit. So they don't even have the amount of cap space it would cost them to get rid of Rodgers this season. Even if they got rid of him next offseason, he's due $36 million, but it would be a $31 million dead cap hit. So you'd only save $5 million against the cap to trade him next year. So you've got at least two more years of Aaron Rodgers that it makes financial sense to get rid of him at the earliest in 2022. You're talking about a player in Jordan Love who more than likely, barring some kind of Rodgers injury, isn't playing for the next two seasons. So I, I, that's a flyer I don't even want to endorse unless you're talking about you already have a deep team and you've got a fourth round pick with nothing to do. The worst part is he's not even good. So Thank you. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to say it, but I'm glad someone did. It's true, though. He's bad. Yeah. 
He threw 17 interceptions at Utah State. On no love for Utah State. None. Wow. None. Okay. None. And justifiable. All right. Let's let's move past Jordan Love, who gets no love here apparently. And uh, we will move on to the only quarterback who was taken on day two of the NFL draft. And believe it or not, it was Jalen Hurts. Well, I can believe that part of it. The part I can't believe is that it was to what is apparently the quarterback factory, according to them, in Philadelphia. So the Eagles have taken Jalen Hurts to be the backup to Carson Wentz, who just cannot stay on the field. That is that is very interesting. I can't say that he's going to be the next guy in line or that he even has any kind of value. There's been the idea floated around that perhaps the Taysom Hill type role. Jack, how do you evaluate the head scratcher that was Jalen Hurts to the Eagle? So I think it was a smart move in terms of building a team. I know Eagles fans are going to kill me for that. They're not going to be happy at all. But Carson Wentz is so injury prone. You need a guy like to back him up, essentially. Were you happy last year when we had Josh McCown in, in the playoffs? No, no one was happy about that. It's just not a good situation. And so you draft a guy like Jalen Hurts. He's a playmaker. He's mobile. And he can make things happen with his arms and his legs. Bail you out of a lot of situations, even though he's not a pro- like a quarterback in the sense like Carson Wentz. But he can bail you out of those situations for when in this emergency, the defense doesn't know what's happening. They haven't prepped for Jalen Hurts. So in that sense, he's great. As a fantasy football, he has absolutely no value. He might be the Taysom Hill role. He'll be labeled as a quarterback, and so you're not pl- you ne- wouldn't play Taysom Hill at quarterback. You're not playing Jalen Hurts there. So, at long term, I do like him he, because he does have that rushing upside. But it's just such a confusing situation for fantasy. Uh, John, on the overall board here, they've got Jordan Love at 34 and Hurts at 36. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather take Hurts than I would love. I think there's a clearer path to having some kind of fantasy value sooner rather than later. Uh, Would you agree with that, or are you on the other side? No, I I couldn't agree more about Jalen Hurts. I think he has far more upside, both immediately and long-term. I think immediately, I mean, with Carson Wentz's injury history, there's a far more likely... I guess I understand that Aaron Rodgers has an injury history too, but um, I just think it's far more likely we'll see Jalen on the field, whether that's with an injured Carson Wentz or not. I think that Doug Peterson is the kind of coach that will find ways to get a player like Jalen Hurts on the field. It wouldn't surprise me if we see uh, situations where both Wentz and Hurts are on the field or they have certain packages for Hurts. I don't think that it's going to be tough to use him, you know, in redraft leagues, but I think, uh, you know, he might have more immediacy in, in dynasty leagues. Um, and also, I just think, I don't know, I'm, I'm very biased because I am a, a student and a graduate from the University of Oklahoma, but I do think, um, you know, Jalen Hurts, his upside is like highest ceiling isn't Taysom Hill, but I think it's, it could be maybe a poor man's Lamar Jackson if used right. So um, I think he has far more, a higher, much higher ceiling than love in that sense. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. Let's get through the rest of these quarterbacks as quickly as possible. Basically, as we said, for redraft purposes, none of these are really interesting. It would be more from the dynasty side. So on the rest of the list, you have Jacob Eason, who went to Indy, uh, who is, I guess, behind Brissett as the third guy now, uh, depending on what happens with Brissett's contract at the end of the year, also Rivers at the end of the year. You have James Morgan going to the Jets, Jake Fromm going to Buffalo, Lutton backing up, currently backing up, 
Minshew in Jacksonville in the sixth round, Cole McDonald going to Tennessee, and then Ben DiNucci going to Dallas in the seventh round as well. Tommy Stevens is now the third guy with Jameis signing in New Orleans. Nate Stanley, the backup in Minnesota, is semi-interesting. Do any of the guys that were actually drafted or perhaps any of the ones I mentioned that were undrafted mean anything to you, Jack? Cole McDonald is pretty interesting because he is in uh, Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, and we had on the Tana Thrill Coaster for a while. He is pretty interesting. Uh, Jake Fromm is super interesting in terms of he is the Kirk Cousins, super safe, super reliable, uh, consistent guy to Josh game Allen's manager. Robert. Game manager to Josh Allen's Robert Griffin III. I really do love that because at some point he's just going to recklessly throw his body in somewhere and he's going to come out injured. Jake Fromm is the safe guy to be your backup quarterback and be the understudy, keep the offense moving, keep and not completely ruin your offense for the playoffs. If he goes, if Josh Allen goes down, uh, Jason, is there anybody I listed there that you actually are interested in for fantasy? No, I'm not even going to kind of touch any of those. So. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> John, you're the dynasty guy. I'm sure you have at least one of those guys you're interested in. Well, I had a lot to say about Cole McDonald, but his name has already been brought up, so I won't uh, linger too much there. Um, oh, but feel I think... free to linger. I mean, if if you've got something to say, go right ahead and say it. Well, I'll, okay, I'll say a little bit about Cole McDonald because I wrote a little bit about him today. I just think he, uh, yeah, he's in the, you know, the Tannehill Really, the biggest concern for me is Tannehill. I think he had a great season last year, but, I mean, prior to that, I mean, he had some really awful seasons, so I really want to kind of wait and see. But one of my biggest things that I really look for in terms of trying to understand or predict if a player is going to be good from college to, to the pros is pass productivity. And Cole McDonald has a lot of productivity. I mean, he was not only a really good passer, he put up nearly 4,000 yards in the last two seasons. He, he, he put up nearly an extra 1,000 yards on the ground, uh, you know, about, about 500 yards each the last two seasons. Um, so I think, you know, for in terms of like a, a nice fit into their offense, if Tannehill were to go down, Cole McDonald could just, I think he could slide in and give you some of the same things that Tannehill does in terms of his mobility and keep that offense afloat. Um, and another name I think that's worth um, worth touching on is Jake Lutton uh, for Jacksonville. I, you know, I understand, you know, you know, Minshew Mania is still alive and well there, but I mean, you know, the job we thought the job was going to go to Nick Foles last year, and, and then comes in uh, Minshew Mania, a late a late draft pick, and takes the job. You know, uh, Jake Lutton's a late draft pick. It's I'm not I don't think he necessarily will take that job from Minshew, but it's just one of those things I'm going to keep watching because I I don't think. The, the QB position is completely settled in Jacksonville by any means. Yeah, for that one, there's a lot of free agents out there, though, that I think would also fit that. Very true. Like you've got Very true. now Dalton, you've got Cam Newton, you've got guys out there on the waivers that you could pick up that I feel like have a, a better shot at that job. But yes, I agree. There, there's no certain uh, certain guy in Jacksonville right now. So Lutton, any dart throw is worth it. Uh, Neil, is there anybody that you like on the list? Nothing other than to say that Cole McDonald had a farm. The swingingest farm I know. Don't make me ask for the crickets. You can oh, ask for it all you, you want. Make me you, debase you, myself no. and then not yeah. even give me the crickets. Okay. That's right. Rounding into midseason form here on the exactly. podcast. If you want a real take, Steve, I'll tell you this right now. Please stop with the Steven Montez. All right? I'm tired of it. 
Like, please just stop with the Steven Montez. It's not good. He wasn't good in Colorado, and I know LaVishka Chenault getting hurt didn't help that. But people keep trying to tell me they think he's got an outside chance at beating Haskins for that job. And I think that that's just insanity. That's just that's just ludicrous. They're too... Steven Montez is nowhere near in the Haskins class. Shout out to Jack. Jack, high five. High five. <laughs> five. We finally agreed on something. We did it! We... <laughs> finally happened. The only guy that I'm semi-interested in uh, is Nate Stanley. He's the backup now, I think. I think he's going to beat out Mannion to be the number two in Minnesota. I think of the guys listed other than Lutton, he probably has the clearest path to getting some kind of role on the team. So uh, he's a guy that, again, fourth round, uh, I'm, for me, depending on how deep your dynasty league is, it's worth taking a flyer. Uh, on a guy like that that I think has upside. All right, let's move on to running back. Number one, we've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the only guy to go in the first round. He went to Kansas City. All right, let's throw over to somebody who loves the Chiefs. Neil, Neil, what do you think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Oh, you know how much I love these Chiefs. Oh, so much that this committee, oh my God. Okay, where to even begin? So I'll do my quick dynasty hit just to get it out of the way. Uh, I don't even think he's one of one in dynasty drafts, which I keep seeing every single human being on the planet who tr- attempts to do this. By and large, that's the group think. That's the consensus. I don't even think he's there. I think Taylor's got a better shot at being the, the real one of one than CEH does. As far as CEH for redraft purposes, he's going into this four-headed monster as a committee here to really just try and like solidify some sort of playing time he's he's in like the low 20s. He's in that tier of guys where it's, yeah, there's a path to playing time, but he's going to be sharing a job with three other guys. And he's going to have to separate from a couple of established players. I think really what that does is it more just nukes some of these other guys on the roster, your Washingtons, your Darwin Thompsons, your, your people of that ilk. That's the people that take the real hit. And he just kind of slots in as kind of a RB3 type of situation over there sharing a job with Damian Williams that being said they love to rotate so he will have value uh Jason what do you think yeah I I can't I mean the opportunity's there but I'm not I don't understand why people were taking him 101 he was never even close for me but again it's just I guess what people potentially need what they see the job in Kansas City is important but again like Neil said it's going to be a multiple back system that Andy Reid wants to run and I, there's going to be value. It, it's hard not to see that, you know, he's just going to be completely useless. However, we were high on Thompson last year and that kind of missed out. So maybe this will be the same thing and we'll be really happy, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. The difference there, I've heard that comparison a lot too, but uh, Darwin Thompson was a fifth round pick. They spent their first round pick on CEA. So I can definitely see why people are getting there. John, do you understand why he's being touted as the one of one right now? Well, yeah. I mean, I think not only from a from a quantitative standpoint, the data backs up that he's one of the better uh, players coming into the draft as a, as not only as a running back but as a pass catcher. But I think we're hearing we're hearing reports and and some of the qualitative stuff really excites me. I don't know how much I really believe that. Pat Mahomes was the one who made the call to say, hey, this is the guy we want to draft, when apparently he just said he texted the word Clyde when they asked him. I don't know how true that really is, but if it's anywhere remotely true, um, that's exciting for me. So I think 
I think it's a safe pick really overall. I just think that he has such a um, – the floor being in that offense, even if he is sharing carries or, or snaps, um, it's the ceiling is high as well as the floor is high as well. Um, so I think it's the safest pick. I don't necessarily know if it is the right pick, but I definitely think there's um, – you're less likely to go wrong with this pick if, you, if you're wanting to uh, kind of play it a little more safe. The next guy off the board was DeAndre Swift. Right after him was Jonathan Taylor. And that seems to be the consensus right now. Top three in some order, one way, shape, or form. Uh, Jack, if you had to choose between those three guys, which situation or which guy do you like in terms of both redraft and dynasty, since you kind of toe the line for us here? Uh, so the 101 in Dynasty is definitely Jonathan Taylor. Uh, it's pretty easy for me to make that call. The Colts didn't trade up Jonathan Taylor, sit him behind, behind Marlon Mack. That just isn't something the Colts would do. Jonathan Taylor is better than Marlon Mack in every way, shape, and form. More explosive, he's bigger. He, You know, people talk about his receiving profile. He had 26% his final season. That's more than enough to say that he can do the job as a receiver but he's not a primary receiver and good enough isn't going to get it done on the Colts when they have Naheem Hines who's better one of the better receiving backs in the NFL so in terms of redraft it's got to be CEH he has to be the guy uh in terms of the rookies those three especially with the receiving uh upside that he has uh when Brian Westbrook was with the Eagles he's a guy that gets compared to Clyde Edwards Hilaire quite often Westbrook averaged 65 receptions a year with Andy Reid, had 270 catch years and a 90 catch year. That's crazy upside. We're probably not going to see that right away from Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but does have that kind of upside. And so that's really exciting. And you have to pick him year one. CEH, Dynasty, it's Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Who's the guy you want in redraft of those top three that were taken? Assuming you're going with PPR, I have Swift at the top. I think the opportunities there. They seem to want to have a committee. They saw what happened when they used carry on too much and got him out of whack. But after that, it's definitely Taylor and then Clyde Edwards. John, so you kind of talked about CEH already, but when you throw the other two into the conversation, how would you rank them one through three? Well, from a dynasty perspective, I would go, I would go Taylor one. I would go uh, CEH two and then Swift three. You know, I like I like Swift a lot, but I like his situation probably the least. I just I, I think Detroit is one of those places. It's kind of not a good situation for running backs. So uh, but I think both Taylor and uh, CEH will have plenty of opportunities and are both in better situations. Neil, of those three, who's your guy? I think we all agree on this one. So for me, in terms of in terms of redraft, it's Swift, CEH and then Taylor. Uh, and then for for Dynasty, it would actually be Taylor, CEH, Swift pretty straightforward and it's just because john didn't want to say it because he's a polite man and he's very highly educated so i'll say it on his behalf you know we all know that detroit is where running backs go to die that's it it's Fair. like the ele- it's the elephant graveyard in lion king i didn't want to say it but <laughs> yeah they even have Whoopi oh. goldberg doing lines for him i mean it's that it's that authentic that's that's pretty spectacular i like that uh no i am in agreement with basically all of that um yes taylor is the guy for me look he is marlon mack he'll have that role but he's more of a bruiser he can get it done at the goal line where mack has kind of struggled throughout his career and marlon mack historically has not been a pass catcher 
I feel like a lot of what's getting overblown is, you know, Naheem Hines all of a sudden craters somehow. No, I, I still see, to Jack's point, Hines having a huge role this season, uh, if not beyond. Taylor just takes over for what Marlon Mack was doing. And Mack essentially takes over that kind of change of pace role that you had Jordan Wilkins in, who kind of just goes out to pasture. Whereas with CEH, yes, I get the offense. You know, there's the upside there. But in a redraft league, until Damian Williams is gone, uh, I'm still not completely trusting it. And then from a dynasty perspective, like I said, Taylor Swift is the guy for me, though, and it doesn't completely crater carry uh, on Johnson, my boy, carry on Johnson. Uh, but what me and Neil were talking about a lot of was, you know, this kind of feels like they're going to use Swift like Theo Riddick, except give him more carries. And if that's the case, then that's why I would be so in love with what they can do with Swift. But really, it feels like you're going to have two guys doing exactly the same thing as opposed to splitting the job in half like you were doing before. So later on in the second round, we've got Cam Akers going to the Rams. You've got Dobbins going to Baltimore. And then, of course, hilarious A.J. Dillon going to the Packers because Aaron Jones is so good. Uh, Jack, we will throw it back to you here. Of those three guys, I mean, that's pretty much the next tier of running back in this discussion. Does anybody jump off the page to you? Uh, J.K. Dobbins absolutely does. He is going to be behind Mark Ingram immediately. So He's going to be a guy that you're going to find a lot of people draft early in the year, and then they drop because he's not producing. But by the end of the season, it's going to be J.K. Dobbins' backfield. In terms of dynasty, it's going to be J.K. Dobbins' backfield in 2021. Mark Ingram ended the year injured. He had the calf uh, that was bothering him. And he was really limited in that playoff game. They did put, rush him back a little bit. He was And he was limited. And that's what happens when you have a 31-year-old running back back there. At the end of the season, J.K. Dobbins is going to be the guy. And in that rushing offense with the Ravens, I'm really excited about what his potential can be. John, did we uh, jump the gun a little bit on there? I mean, does Dobbins or Akers fit into those top three as opposed to any of the guys we've already talked about for you? Oh, I, I think it's a little odd that we aren't talking enough about Cam Akers. I think he definitely needs to be in that conversation. He, I think he walks into probably maybe the best situation of, of any of the running backs in this draft in the sense that that job is completely wide open. I know the Rams invested a you know third round pick on Henderson last year, but they just invested a second round pick on Cam Akers this year. And there's a lot of carries and touches to be filled with Todd Gurley no longer there. So, you know, I think he's a good pass catcher. He's got the speed. He's obviously not the same kind of speed or, or ability as Todd Gurley, but I think he could come in right away and give you 80, 90% of, of Todd Gurley in that offense. So I think from a dynasty perspective, I really want to buy a lot of stock in Cam Akers. I really like the potential of maybe an Akers-Henderson combination, kind of their one-two punch in that offense, maybe uh, starting off next year or going into the future. Yeah, I think that's kind of getting really understated right now for me personally going through my projections i've got cam Akers at 35 but daryl henderson at 39 like i feel like that's more of a true split at least for this season than a lot of people are giving it credit for and i feel like everybody's kind of bailing on daryl henderson because of them going out and getting Akers. if i can get henderson in a dynasty league on the cheap basically at the basement bottom prices i will absolutely take it do you agree with that take yes absolutely absolutely i mean i think the the la offense has enough upside even when it, in a, even in a down year you know the, the rams are above uh, above average offense i think if we look at the schedule as well they're not going to be playing a first place schedule anymore 
Uh, I think, you know, another year in that offense with McVay and Goff and the rest of that crew, I just think we can, we're going to see a closer Rams offense to the 2018 versus the 2019 offense. Jason, is there anybody of those three that were taken in the back end of the second round that you really liked? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that they are all excellent options for, for this year, especially. I'm pretty impressed with all three of them. Uh, but have Akers as my first choice, then actually, no, Dylan as my first choice. Surprisingly, I'm getting wow. more touches. What? Yes, of them, Dylan is actually my first choice. So do you think he just takes Jamal Williams' job? Pretty much. I mean, wow. I guess it... we're not supposed to start drinking until the after party. Ew. Hey, I can drink. No, wait, hold I want. on. Hey, hey, hey. He's talking about less touches for Aaron Jones. Let the man talk. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll lay out. It's for both. It's less touches for both people. And I think that he just happens to benefit from it and they want to run the ball. That's what they want to focus on. So with that in mind, I kind of feel like that's the direction they're going yeah i have that projected right now as 50 percent for aaron jones 30 for jamal williams 20 for aj Dillon. so i mean if you think it's it flips 30 20 to Dillon, i could totally see that i don't think he's going to out touch aaron jones but i mean it'll he'll still cut into whatever that workload was uh, i do agree he has some value but that is wow i didn't think anybody would take that stance well, i should have gone well, to you last i know spicy I'm sorry That's, i ruined it yeah, all buried the well lead. all right well i'll go to neil now neil good luck topping that yeah i can't frankly i'm not even gonna try this is gonna hurt my back and making that attempt uh it's funny because aj Dillon is the one that i'm the least interested in uh now i will say this cam ackers my little tidbit here this was the most irritating pick of the entire draft for me because what it did for me is you know let's not forget that they have an out on it still, but for now, Malcolm Brown is still on that roster as well, who we've seen have, you know, touches for the Rams. I'm concerned that this ends up with them getting burned by the Todd Gurley contract and them also seeing what the Niners did, that they're just going to adopt like a three-back system and rotate everybody through. And that's my concern about Ackers for this year. Now, what John had mentioned before, I very much am in alignment with, with, uh, the season after because you probably remove Malcolm Brown certainly by that point it'd likely be two people that could be specious reasoning on our part but that's that's what I would go with CJ's uh, out there still they could pick him up again <laughs> don't you put that evil on me don't you put that <laughs> I don't want to project that John that's a lot yeah. of work we don't want to go through that exercise now nah, the point I made was basically after day two like the the general consensus was the entire league is going to running back by committee. I mean, outside of a handful of teams, you've got Saquon, CMC, Zeke, Leonard Fournette, but he doesn't Fournette, Derek Henry. Outside of those, not many. It's mainly committees. It's mainly a, a timeshare in the backfield, which for me, for the first time in a long time, I will not be banging the drum of you got to go wide receiver first. If you can get one of those guys, who is in a I own the entire backfield scenario, you got to do it. I think that was more takeaway from day two than anything else. The NFL is probably one of the biggest groupthink environments that exists, right? We all agree on this, I think. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. monkey see, monkey do at the highest, highest order. That's the order of the day in that league. So they had, they, they've been seeing these teams have success cycling these guys through. Bonus, I don't have to pay them anything. And then you watch Todd Gurley... Yeah. They get sink that mega contract into him and it blows up their, their season the next year. So it just, 
it makes a lot of sense to me that that's the way the wind seems to be blowing. Before I move off it, the big winner here, I feel like, is J.K. Dobbins for of that of that tier because I wouldn't elevate them into the other guys we talked about. I just wouldn't. But Dobbins for me is the special one there, really more than anything, even more so than Ackers because Dobbins. That everybody's already talked about it. Mark Ingram's 31. He's been beat up his whole career. He's got a lot of tread on the tires. He's he's carried the ball a ton. He's still effective, but I and they're still paying him. But the second they can get out from under that contract, I think they do because at that point he'll be 32. So it's one of those situations where I don't see Mark Ingram being on that team. He's not long for this world in that team. We'll see where he goes from there. So all yeah. of a sudden, J.K. Dobbins becomes very interesting to me. Very very interesting because we've seen the Gus Bus. Not impressed. And we've also seen Justice Hill, yet to be proven, but didn't have a great year last year. So he's kind of competing against nothing. Throwing out for Justice Hill. I have a very specific question for John. So Dr. Dynasty, this one's for you. All right. We've talked about these six guys, and in fact, we'll do you a favor and completely throw out A.J. Dillon. Sorry, Jason. So of the five other guys, you got CEH, Swift, Taylor, Akers, and Dobbins. So of them, how do you rank them for 2021? Okay, well, I'm going to go Dobbins first because I think that Ravens offense in terms of the upside, the rushing ability, he may not necessarily cash in that value this year, but I think going into 2021, it's him. I might even put Taylor right below him, but it's a close, a close second. Uh, Then I'll probably go CEH there. I just think that the upside of the offense in Kansas City floor is just too high, perhaps, even in a committee. And then I go Akers. I like Swift as a player. Don't get me wrong. I think on maybe any other team, he would probably be much higher on this list and possibly even be number one. But I just I just don't like him in Detroit for a lot of reasons, as we mentioned earlier. So I like Dobbins the most overall and probably Swift the least. But the other three in the middle, you could probably make a case either way. But yeah, that's how I would go. See, I would probably agree with that. Like I have said all along, I was so high on carry on Johnson because first of all, he's still so young. He's on his rookie deal. Yes, he's had injury issues, but that job in Detroit, they feed him the ball. He was a top 10 to 12 back for sure. And I had him ranked 12th until this Swift news happened. And the problem is for Swift, yes, he's still going to be a productive guy. Yes, he'll still have a role in that offense, but I don't think carry on Johnson goes away very quickly. Like there's no financial reason that they have to cut carry on Johnson after this season that opens up the entire job for Deandre Swift. So I feel like that's a committee for at least the next two years. Whereas you've got Edwards Hilaire, you've got Taylor, you've got acres, you've got Dobbins guys who are behind older running backs or running backs that just frankly aren't as talented that they can easily step into that role. So for this season specifically, I do have Swift as the top because I think he has the clearest path to a workload. But yes, long term, dynasty wise, I feel like it's going to take longer for him to be a more productive player. Certainly. All right, let's move into the third round. You've got Antonio Gibson going to Washington. I hate that the R's made so many good moves in this draft. I know that Neil is with me on that. That, that was a theme on, uh, on uh, day two for us was I hate the R's. I hate that uh, they're actually doing things that are positive for them. Keyshawn Vaughn was the guy who uh, won the lottery and is going to Tampa Bay behind Tom Brady. And then you've got Zach Moss going to Buffalo and Darrington Evans becomes the guy who takes over those 50 carries a season from Deion Lewis in Tennessee. Uh, Let's go with Jason. Who do you love out of that group? 
Well, you know, being the redraft guy here, for some reason, I don't know how I got that, but I actually <laughs> it really like Vaughn here. I think the opportunity is there. I think he's going to yeah. catch passes. It's just too wide open. While I think uh, Jones gets a start, I think that he doesn't produce like they want, and Vaughn just happens to be more of the Tom Brady type with the white kind of filling that role. That's going to be the role he kind of slides into, in my opinion. And then it's from there, it's kind of all over, but I like uh, Pirine a lot here. Um, it's don't know why. I, I think it's just the Jets and hit. I guess uh, Jack and I had a Twitter conversation over this, but he's going to go into a Bilal Powell role, and I think it's just going to work out great for him. So, yeah, you've got LaMichael Perrine going in the fourth round to the Jets, also Josh Kelly to the Chargers, Anthony McFarland to Pittsburgh, DJ Dallas to Miami. Jack, is there anybody that you liked from that third or fourth round that you were really circling? Well, obviously you love Keyshawn Vaughn. He has the perfect landing spot. He's just better than Ronald Jones, but I'm not going to hit that hammer or home any farther. Jason kind of nailed that. Zach Moss steps in and he becomes a juiced up Frank Gore. But the problem with him is he still plays with Josh Allen. Josh Allen the past two years has scored eight and nine rushing touchdowns and its running backs have scored four each year. So I really like the player. Don't love his fantasy upside. Guy I'm most interested in is Antonio Gibson. So they drafted him. They announced him as a running back. His website has him as a running back. He's going to be wearing number 24. That says he's going to be a running back. Team thinks of Gibson as a Swiss Army knife, but they have also said that they believe he can be a true running back in the NFL. But they also like his ability to move into the slot. This is a lot of the same things that the Panthers head coach or the Panthers coaching staff said about Christian McCaffrey when he came into the league. And we've seen how that went. And Antonio Gibson is an inch taller, 23 pounds heavier than CMC. Long term, I think they do envision him as a true bell cow CMC type. That's not going to happen right away. This backfield's way too crowded. But in the meantime, oh, he's going to be the starting slot receiver because right now he's competing with Steven Sims Jr., who is 184 pounds and runs a 4.61. Not a threat at all. We're going to get Antonio Gibson on the field. And in the long term, he's a really exciting play. Wow, this guy just completely dismisses Trey Quinn. All right, I see. All right. Yeah, Fair. first of all, right. wow. first of all, my one piece of pushback to any of that, because it was very well-reasoned, uh, was uh, was he's competing with Trey Quinn. He's not even competing. Trey Quinn <laughs> was dead Trey. last in yards per route run yeah. per PFF last well, year. Well, Trey Quinn is he's also not good. He's also very much injured all the time. So that's that's the bigger issue <laughs> I find and with Trey bad. Quinn. So this is what I was going to get into, because I had, I had one swan song for this entire round. And it's Antonio Gibson. That's why Steve and I were so frustrated that he ends up on the R's because I don't want them to make their team better. And I think that they significantly did. And just the log jam at running back, they've got six guys on that roster listed at running back. So yeah, he's going to play slot receiver and then he's eventually going to play running back and slot receiver. What do you think about this, Jack? Do you think he's going to qualify for dual eligibility on some sites? Because that's something that I think makes him slightly more attractive. I think he will eventually, but I don't think he's going to right away just because all the talk has been he's a running back who will move to the slot. But once the season rolls around, it's going to be hard not to list him as a receiver because he's going to be taking probably 90% of his snaps there. Yeah, my point is I'm maybe a dinosaur in this way, but sometimes those Swiss Army Knife guys, when they actually can carry that dual eligibility, man, that's such a nice weapon to have. It's such a nice, it's such a nice piece for your fantasy team, especially for a guy that we've seen have 
you know, great success at Memphis. And I just happen to believe that he can just flat out catch and run. That's all they're going to ask him to do. Like we, like Neil and I had talked about when this happened. I mean, Antonio Gibson just seems like the perfect fit to be the younger, healthier Chris Thompson in that offense, which for PPR for many years was not only a viable guy, but he was an RB2 starter on a weekend, week out basis. Before the injuries. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely the comparison I would make there. How about you, John? How, how about those guys in the third and fourth round? Any of them really sticking out to you? Yeah, I mean, enough, you know, y'all, I've already addressed Keyshawn Johnson and Antonio Gibson, who I like a lot, but I also like Josh Kelly a lot going to the Chargers. I think, uh, you know, that that's an offense that can support more than one running back. Uh, obviously, uh, most of the touches are going to go to Eckler, but I think Kelly can come in right away and maybe uh, fill in fill in that RB2 role or at least compete for it right away. Um, so I kind of like him a little more as far as, you know, in Dynasty, I think you can get some production out of him as a flex, possibly even this year or, uh, you know, maybe more so going forward in the future. So I like uh, Kelly a lot. I would agree with that as well. I kind of feel like he takes away the Joshua Jackson role. I feel like he ends up being that number two running back Justin. behind Eckler. Oh, did I say jo- Joshua? You did. It's, the, a, it's uh, all right. The Mighty it Ducks guy. It's only going to matter for like two more months, right. man. Don't worry yeah, about Justin it. Justin this is not going to matter Thank you. very much longer. All right, so I feel like he's a better hockey player than Joshua Jackson, uh, but in terms of football, he's a better football player than Justin Jackson. There, did that did that save it? I think I got it slightly. All right, so yes, kick save and abuse. Yes, Joshua Kelly is going to be the guy there. The guy that I like a lot, as I have mentioned several times over, is Anthony McFarland. I mean, you want to talk about opportunity? They hate James Conner in Pittsburgh. They have gone to so many lengths to try to move on from James Conner. They don't want to pay him. They don't want to re-up him at the end of this year. I think McFarland gets a legit shot, especially with all the injury concerns, to have a role this year and be the starter at the beginning of 2021. I am grabbing him in every Dynasty League possible with a second or third round flyer. He is a guy I am all about. But what about Jalen Samuels? He's still there. What about Jalen? I mean... You can't just throw names at me like they matter. They do. (laughs) He does not. That experiment is over. He's not a running back. Jason, he plods along at a speed that is so slow that the camera people have to, like, slow it down when he gets (laughs) the ball. You don't want to talk about Bilal Powell having no burst. I mean, my God, Bilal Powell's even looking at him like, wow. (laughs) You can hear the camera turning like a squeaky door in a haunted house. Well, they use Vance McDonald a lot. So I kind of figured, you know, it's it's an old person team. Yeah, yeah. McFarlane has a shot, is my point, to the clearest path of success of any of those guys. I love the I love the talent of Gibson, but I wish he landed somewhere else, which is not just because of Neil and I's hatred for the R's, which is well documented, but also for the fact that, like we talked about, the log jam. There's just so many guys. There's so many mouths to feed there. Well, and Adrian Peterson. I mean, Jesus. That it's still there. It, they're playing. still yeah, Peterson, there. Peterson, you got Geis. They signed Peyton Barber in the offseason. They off still season. have you know, Bryce Hall. They, they have Bryce Love. I, I mean, if sure, if all of them play five games, you're talking about three seasons still. Perfect. I mean, there's too many guys. Three of them are going to have to play special teams. There's no way that that roster can function in that way. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, Adrian Peterson's going to go be a wedge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's how bad he wants to keep playing football. It's not happening. There's no way that that's going to happen. All right, let's go deep dives now. John, page two. A lot of guys from mostly undrafted signees. Uh, you had Huntley, who got drafted in the fifth round to Detroit. 
but we've talked about that enough to you know to say that he basically won't have a role. Benjamin goes from Arizona State to Arizona, which is extremely interesting. Uh, Calais signs with Tampa Bay. You've got Malcolm Perry from Navy going to Miami, or any of the the list of guys we have here that were undrafted free agent signees. Anybody float your boat from a dynasty perspective? Yeah, I like you know Benjamin probably at least from a dynasty perspective. I think. Uh, because I really love the Arizona Cardinals offense um, going forward. I think as far as like buying stock, I want to buy a lot of stock. the last time anybody said that? I know. It feels weird to say out loud. So I definitely want to uh, buy as much stock uh, there as I can. And I think there's a, a potential path that, you know, Benjamin, you know, sees a lot of touches in that offense. If anything were to happen, um, you know, in that offense, I think, I think he can have, at least as a dynasty, he's a nice stash maybe in your, in your, um, on your taxi squad. But another name I really like a lot is Malcolm Perry. Um, that dude is just flat out is a uh, touchdown machine. And I just think he's a player that I think you just got to get him the ball in his hand. I mean, and playing for Navy, obviously, I believe, you know, he playing, playing a lot of quarterback, but didn't do a lot of passing, obviously, uh, you know, as a rusher. Um, but I like Malcolm Perry a lot in Miami, just because I don't really know, I think that a running back position is wide open. Um, and then Perry coming in, even if he doesn't necessarily get the job, I think just in terms of a goal line or as, as a, just a, a player in that offense to be used as a weapon, I think he has a lot of value. I mean, he put up 21 touchdowns last year, 40 overall in his career. I just think um, that guy knows how to find the end zone. Jack, is there anybody on page two here that, uh, that you really like? John absolutely nailed it with, Eno Benjamin. It was an absolute steal interesting thing i found about him was he was playing on an offense with uh Nikhil harry and brandon Ayuku, both went in the first round his head coach was herm edwards so he's not an idiot he knows what it's like to be an nfl coach he's still giving you know benjamin touches so he's got real long-term potential in that offense but other than that it's a lot of like guys who project to be catching backs jason huntley he's a really small guy at like 180 pounds he's got theoretic type upside Damon Kalei, he's got uh, James White-type upside for the Buccaneers. He'll be competing with Dari Gumbawale. Uh, but other than that, we've got uh, J.J. Ta- Taylor out of Arizona. He's a guy I'm excited for for the New England Patriots because he really undersized at like 186 pounds, but he runs hard. He tries to run through guys. He's got a real chance to be the next James White for the Patriots as an undrafted free agent. Here's my real sleeper call. Levante Bellamy for the Denver Broncos at Western Michigan. Guy has legit speed, and we have seen what the Broncos are willing to do with UDFAs. He's kind of that guy that could be the next Philip Lindsay and replace Philip Lindsay, funny enough, because he can actually catch the ball. And that's something that the Broncos are really frustrated with Philip Lindsay about that he just can't catch the ball. Why they brought Melvin Gordon in. So Levante Bellamy out of Western Michigan. He's my uh, shot call to make the team as a UDFA and actually produce. And they have had success with that in the past. Uh, Neil, any of these guys pop out to you? Jack literally got to go before me and snake me. <laughs> that is absolutely what I was about to talk about. Levante Bellamy. UDF minds think alike. The Broncos do really one thing well. That's like their calling card is they find these guys, UDFAs, and they are able to turn them into actual NFL stars. It is the one thing they can consistently do. And and my whole note was, boy, what does that tell you about what they really think about Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay? They're just going to, to them, I think it's a systems thing. 
we've proven we can do it. We'll do it again. And what's hilarious is I think they're on to something. Because to your point that you just made, Jack, he can actually catch the football, which is the biggest black mark against Philip Lindsay. All the speed in the world can't catch very well. Bellamy has had ample opportunity to do that in Western Michigan, and he has top end speed just like Lindsay does. So if he can out, if he can get on the field and out hustle, he's got a real shot to be there until he actually has the gall to ask John Elway for anything even resembling any any kind of real money, and then he'll get the Philip Lindsay treatment. Rinse, repeat. That's what's <laughs> that's what's that's what's frustrating about his like real long term prospects, if you ask me. Is like yeah, but they love to like get these UDFA's, build them up, and then ship them off. That's that's kind of what they like to do. So I, I worry about him potentially long term. But shot call flyer, uh, absolutely. He, you're looking at the guy with the best chance to be new, possibly better, Philip Lindsay. Jason, any of these guys stick out to you? I mean, no, not really. Not for a redraft at all. I'm not going to be even worrying about him. But again, if of them, I guess I would probably go with Calais as potentially being another pass catcher for Tampa Bay is the only kind of thing I can see happening for most of them. So, All right, that's fair. Uh, for me, the guy is Michael Warren out of Cincinnati. He lands in a situation with the Eagles, the team that loves to run the ball, and you know we've talked about it. I love Boston Scott. Aiden loves Boston Scott. He's our guy. But you've got Miles Sanders, you've got Boston Scott, and then basically nothing else. Warren has a clear path to be the number three guy. And I feel like he may end up being the uh, vulture on the goal line because he's the only kind of power back that they would have on the roster at that point. So, you know, no offense to Corey Clement. I was about to say, disrespect him. of How Corey Clement. I mean, like I said, look, the, you've got young upside over mediocrity. We know what Corey Clement is. We don't know what Michael Warren could be. I feel like he has a legitimate chance to be the number three on that roster. So... Uh, worth so a flyer what, for me, for sure. Here's what Michael Warren is. Josh Adams. He's a, just a guy. He's athletic. He's not explosive. So yeah, there's definitely a room for Josh Adams in the Eagles yeah. offense. We saw that. It's not a exactly. good one. We, we saw that work matter. in the Eagles offense. I'm fine with that. And I, will, and I will take a chance on that. Because right now, he's not ranked. He's not getting any kind of love at all. So I'm, I'm good with it. All right, well, that'll round up quarterbacks and running backs. And we will break and go for part two. So uh, you can catch us next week on the second part of our draft coverage. For everybody here, we've got Jack at Javanaugh87, Jason at that FF nerd, John at, is it Chancy FF or FF Chancy? Chancy FF, right? Correct. Chancy FF. All right. Well, that needs to be at Dr. Dynasty. And then uh, we'll get working on that. And then, of course, at nonsense underscore Neil and at nonsense underscore. And then uh, you can find all of us on importantnonsense.com, obviously. So uh, until next week, everybody, just keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!